Welcome to the Documentary Photography Review Podcast. I'm Chris King, and after a significant break from podcasting for a whole host of reasons, I'm very happy to be back interviewing documentary photographers who are producing engaging work around stories local to them. Today's interview is with Aisha Small, a documentary photographer who picked up a camera just a few years ago in order to help navigate her way through a particularly difficult time in her life. In her project entitled Mind Shackles, Aisha has been exploring mental health, in particular documenting the experiences of those suffering from depression. In the interview, we discussed the Mind Shackles project and the impact it's having, as well as Aisha's more recent venture into multimedia production. Aisha has achieved a lot in a very short space of time, despite working full-time as a teacher, having a young family, and being self-taught in photography. To those who might be struggling to initiate their first project, Aisha's work and all she has achieved is proof that, despite significant time and energy constraints, it can be done and done well. The key thing is finding the right story to explore, one that you can work on despite other commitments, and one you are passionate about. These two things will hopefully ensure you overcome any barriers, real or perceived, and see it through to its conclusion. Without further ado, here's the interview with Aisha. I hope you enjoy it, and please do share it far and wide. Uh, if we can start by just exploring your motivations for documenting mental health issues. The main reason was my personal background. Um, so I've had kind of family members who've suffered from a range of mental health issues. Um, and uh, myself, I maybe like about three years ago, I, was, um, I had a major episode of depression, which eventually led to me taking up photography actually. But that's kind of why I'm interested. It's kind of personal experience and uh, wanting to find out how other people deal with things, but also to erase stigma as well. Mm-hmm. And why photography in particular? During this period, I actually started painting. And, um, but I'm not very good at painting. <laughs> and uh, we lived in quite a small house at the time, and there wasn't really any space to put anything. So it was kind of a pragmatic decision in terms of something else that was artistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd always had an interest in the visual arts um, and kind of always been quite interested in photography as well, but never really taken it massively seriously. Had an old um, DSLR, no, sorry, just an old SLR, I should say, a film camera lying around the house. So I thought maybe I could resurrect that. Um, and also because we're in the digital age now, the things that could kind of sit on my hard drive, I didn't have to have a physical um, thing really. So it was, it was that something that I thought I could get quite good at, um, was interested in anyway, and it'd be a creative outlet. So that, that was why photography really. Mm-hmm. Okay. And very quickly then, um, you got into the Mind Shackles project. Um, I guess it took me maybe about a year. So I was quite into street photography and kind of candid photography. The reason was it allowed me to kind of get out and walk around and mm. also it was quite a low barrier to entry. I could just get started. It didn't have to be a right or wrong. There weren't any particular rules. Yeah. Um, so I just, I walked around kind of with a, a small compact camera. Um, kind of something that a lot of street photographers like, um, like a, a Ricoh, but it was kind of especially, it was honed for street photography. And then I kind of started a blog just because I wanted some, somewhere to put this stuff. So it wasn't just kind of talking to myself really. And then what happened is as time went by, I kind of thought, I realised that I wanted to say something with my photography or I wanted it to be a bit more personal. So I started to look at photographers who I admired 
um, and their work and it was really clear to me that the people whose photography I most liked it was something that came from within mm-hmm. it was something that came from their heart that they were passionate about and then they'd pursued that and I think I think in art you can really tell that you can tell if it's something that someone's very very passionate about and I also thought that I maybe wasn't being entirely true to myself if I didn't choose something that meant a lot to me and then the kind of catalyst I guess for my shackles really was I had a, a bit of a down period again around kind of winter time and I thought that I'd use photography to help me get out of that so I just thought I'd document my personal experience mm-hmm. and that was kind of the most personal kind of work I'd done so far um, and I found it really really helpful so then when that ended it wasn't huge compared to the one before you know I still went to work and stuff it wasn't a massive deal but it was just useful for me and I shared that and it got a really really interesting personal response from people that I shared it with mm-hmm. and I kind of set it to music it was um set to Hotel California for the, the Eagles and I kind of like took bits of that and made it was like a kind of nightmarish vision I guess something like that um and I decided that after that I wanted to explore how other people de- dealt with depression right. um, and that's where my shackles came from really right. okay and how did you initiate that contact was it because those people had responded to the work that you put out into the public domain or did you seek out particular individuals yeah, I've been thinking about that. I'm not entirely sure if I know how I got the first volunteer. I think it's, um, um, I'm on Twitter uh, anyway, but I was on Twitter professionally um, to do with my day job. And I think, you know, I'd maybe share some of the photography stuff as well. Just sometimes you just do that kind of thing. And I think I just got talking to people in general. And my first volunteer, I think I'd known that she'd suffer from depression anyway so I think I just asked her but at that time there wasn't anything that she knew that she was she didn't know what she was signing up to really because there was nothing to see yeah <laughs> I just said okay well you know I'm into photography uh da, 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 I want to explore this do you fancy being a volunteer and she was like yeah okay <laughs> even though she didn't really know what it was right. <laughs> and that's kind of it so it was um very random it mm-hmm. was just people that I happened to talk to and because I was becoming a bit more confident in myself you know maybe at some point I'd mentioned that I, I'd had depression or whatever it is, or they'd mentioned it, and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to do this now. Do you fancy being a volunteer? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how it started, really. Right. Mm. And how has it progressed? Have, have people come to you via different channels, or have you uh, approached people directly? Um, it, what's the situation like now and moving forward? It's been a mixture, actually. So uh, the first, initially, I just wanted a person because you can't get anything started if you haven't got any volunteers, really. Yeah. Um, and I I don't. I didn't want it to be my personal story because I wanted to find out how other people dealt with things. And in a way, it is my personal story because I chose it because of my background. So yeah. you are vaguely seeing my story in different people's voices, mm. kind of. Um, but yeah, so that person, I think, recommended another person to me. So it's their contacts. I've asked a few of my kind of personal friends as well. So that, that's some of it. Uh, coming up I've got somebody who just contacted me out of the blue having seen the website which is encouraging I think I'd like to have more of that yeah. um, next year one person it was somebody that I met via work and um, they came in to talk to staff um, about mental health issues so I asked if I could feature them so some, some of them it's people that I personally know increasingly it's less of that now I'm kind of contacting people that I see via social media who mm you know happy talking about that kind of thing and ask them if they'd like to be featured and okay. um, to be honest in general people are quite favourable they, mm-hmm. they usually say yes um, but it has to fit into their schedule that's the only yeah. thing and sometimes I've got I've got a few people who I think would like to be featured but they haven't quite got the courage to do it yet 
Right. Um, so we just kind of maintain an ongoing relationship, and when they want to do it, they do it, and if they don't, that's also fine. Right. So yeah, it's kind of, it's been organic, but I think I do need to be a bit more targeted mm-hmm. in the future. But for the way it's evolved this year, I've been pleased, I think. Yeah. And what's your motivation for documenting the same individual multiple times, if you have one at all, or is it just circumstance? When I originally thought about it, I wanted it to be ongoing stories about people's lives. Um, And I think I was inspired by, because I'm a self-taught photographer and documentarian, it's kind of, you know, you look at people's work that you admire. And at that time, and and still now, I I talk quite a bit online to a guy called um, Jim Watcham. He has an ongoing documentary series called Small Town Inertia, um, which I really uh, take a lot from. I find it very interesting about kind of people on the margins of society basically and I liked that approach because I felt like sometimes in some ways it was the antidote to the way I come into photography which is street photography where you don't really get to know people I felt like you know a lot changes in people's lives over time and it would be interesting to plot the same people so when I thought about the mind shackle it wasn't called mind shackles then it was just a thing <laughs> but when I thought about it yeah. I thought yeah maybe I'd see people two or three times and that was kind of how I presented it to people mm-hmm. and I think that approach does work very well as it's happened actually I do have some people who are one-offs as well and yeah. that's no particular reason it's just that's what's happened and that's how it's worked and they're a nice self-contained story and I think I like both approaches yeah. you know, I think it's some, t- some people just want to tell their story once and that's how other people they're happier for you to be more integrated into their lives so the strategy was just because I think you get to know a lot about people at different times you know you might because of the nature of the topic as well yeah. you know you might see somebody at one time they might not be doing so great and then next time things are much much better and yeah. I think it's important to see all of that mm-hmm. and I think kind of the most recent story that I've told is about Gwen who was my first volunteer as well yeah. I must have seen her I've seen her aside from my jackals many times um, but in terms of the um, sites three times and to see her trajectory has been wonderful you know at the very beginning she wasn't in a great place but the most recent one we had you know it was really useful for her as well to say oh you know I've come such a long way since we first started talking and that was beautiful actually it's mm-hmm. wonderful yeah it's a good good point actually just for the individuals themselves that they get the opportunity to to have some record of of their journey and an opportunity if they are in a good place to to look back and see see what they've been through and remember and and uh, appreciate how far they've they've moved on yeah I think that's that's an interesting aspect of it really yeah it's, it's nice it's yeah. beautiful actually it's kind mm. of um because I think I asked her one question what advice would you give do you now to the person who started 18 months ago when we started working together or two mm-hmm. years ago whatever it was yeah um and yeah it gave her time to really reflect mm. and, and see what a good place she was in now and what had happened in between that time and stuff and it was um it's nice to be a small part of that mm, in someone's yeah. life it's, it's nice mm. and is this uh project is mind shackles feeding into a broader campaign to raise awareness about mental health issues or um else? i think that when i originally thought about it it wasn't necessarily it was just something that i needed to do for myself as mm-hmm. a, a personal thing i didn't really know i didn't i just saw it in isolation as something i needed to do for myself as time has gone by i think it it is feeding into a wider campaign because there's quite a lot at the moment about mental health in the news and so on and i i think um 
because of the nature of how I've recruited volunteers or how people have got to know me, it's very much via social media, which thrives on connections. Mm-hmm. So as a result, initially the first people who supported me in terms of my chapels were photographers because it's a photography project. But with time, you know, it's been people who uh, have had mental health problems um, and also um, people who work in the field of mental health. So as a result of that, I started to get to be, you know, I'm starting to become part of a wider community, mm-hmm. which, you know, most people, their aim in that is to erase the stigma around talking about mental health. So, you know, I'm not affiliated to any charities or anything like that, but I think I am becoming part of the general drive to try and raise people's awareness and so on. Um, and um, interestingly, one of my volunteers, Andy, he is quite into campaigning about mental health issues um, from his own point of view. So he has a blog that he, where he talks about teaching, but he also talks about mental health issues. Right. Um, and he recently asked me to present Mindshackles physically at a workshop in a conference that he was running, like a small conference, mm-hmm. um, at his work. And um, so that was nice to be part of that because it does feel like you're being part of something yeah. bigger. Yeah. So to answer your question, I think it wasn't initially, but I think I will be going more in that direction. And kind of a few people who contacted me kind of described me as a mental health campaigner, which is something I wouldn't have said I was. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess I am. <laughs> yeah. And do you think beyond... Uh, what you've already mentioned in terms of on a, on a personal level, on an individual level, uh, those who you've documented, the benefit that they've gained from the photo essay. Do you think photo essays can feed into campaigns effectively and, and create positive change and affect policies and the likes? I think they can. It all depends on your audience and your reach, which sounds a bit marketeering to say, but initially I was just doing things, I was doing it for myself, I was doing it for the people who were involved, but then one of my volunteers kind of challenged me and said, you should put this out there more because if it's, it's, it's really important and the work's good and other people need to know about this, so you should really try and promote it more than you do. And that, that was at a time that I was quite shy, you know, I was still quite new to photography, you see all this amazing work out there and it's like, okay, my work's not as good as that kind of thing, but... Um, the point is it's good enough and it connects with people and I'm not that guy or that woman but I have something that other people want to know about mm-hmm. um, and that I think having that from one of my volunteers really gave me the confidence to say okay yeah I can start to push this now I think it felt like before I didn't want to push myself yeah. but because you know, it was quite deliberate for me to create a separate thing aside from me so it's not really my name it's it's my shackles it's its own entity yeah. so what I'm promoting is the stories and the volunteers and for me that's that's fine to do that so I think as a documentarian if you don't try and tell other people about what you're doing you're wasting your time in a way it's a vanity project which sounds really harsh to say (laughs) but I honestly do believe that now it's kind of it's all very well me going and documenting people and and, you know building a website and this kind of thing but that could just be my hobby but if I really want to one of my initial aims was to raise awareness and challenge stigma and stuff like that Mm -hmm. I can't do that if I'm just talking to myself so it's actually my duty to put it out there and to make sure that as many people see it as possible yeah. in different forms. And it's also changed the way I view the project. You know, initially I thought it was just a photography project. Now I don't see it as that. I just see it as I'm telling people stories in whatever way is best suited mm-hmm. to do that. And it means that I will do almost anything if I feel I can do it justice to tell those stories. Yeah. Um, and do you think that... Having built a dedicated website, do you think that's an important part of promoting the project and making sure that it is about the stories and the individuals that you're documenting? Yes, because when I initially started the project, I I had my little blog about street photography and I'd put whatever the the 
version of it was then I'd put um, post now and again but it'd be interspersed with other things um, I think having its own home has allowed Mind Shackles to have its own distinct voice does that make sense yeah. and it's I don't tend to look at my work when I've done it I kind of just make a thing and it's done <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know I just don't look at things again but it is important to build in time to reflect and see where it's going and that kind of thing and I think having things all in one place without any distraction from something else if it's something that's that important which this is f- from my point of view to me I think that really helps and I I wanted it to be a you know like a self-hosted site because I wanted to be able to tell the stories in the way that I wanted it to look. I didn't want to have to fit into somebody else's template or you know these sites are always changing. So things like Flickr and, and that kind of thing, you go to it and the next week it's different and the other week it's different and it's the functionality is not what you want and it's yeah. kind of that's actually kind of annoying um, if you're serious about trying to tell a particular story. So that's why I I had the dedicated site built so it would look the stories be communicated in the way that I wanted them to come across to people and also it's given it space to be able to grow and evolve in, in the way that I want it I mean I don't build a site that's not my skill set mm-hmm. but um, I've got a nice company that I'm big fan of that they do it for me right. and uh, Mike the guy who's my web designer he understands photographers you know, he's worked with documentary photographers so I can say okay I wanted to do this mm-hmm. What do you think? And he's like, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> or it's not going to look as good as you want it to look, and da da da, that yeah. sort of thing. So it's evolved. Now that I've got a logo, that wasn't originally part of, that wasn't part of the kind of coding for the site, but no. that's something that's kind of gone in with it mm-hmm. as well. So it's, um, I think it just gives it space to breathe. Yeah. For me, I think that having a dedicated website has been essential for recruiting people as volunteers because then they can see what it is they're getting involved in. Mm-hmm which is really important given the subject matter and they can see how I document it and whether it suits them but I also think it's useful for when I'm talking to people who aren't necessarily going to be volunteers but are interested Mm -hmm. Um, you know I've had a lot of unforeseen benefits from having a dedicated site I'm self-funded so I've had kind of discounts for courses that kind of thing because people have seen the site and they liked it Um, and it's that's been stuff I wasn't expecting as as a result of having the site and do you think you know it is still very much early days with your project but you feel that it's built a critical mass do you think that there are there's this growing audience that uh, comes back time and again to to read your posts and to see how you've explored an individual's situation i have to say this is something i need to get better at for the past year i haven't looked at any of the stats um, you know, you can get all the Google analytics and that kind of yeah. thing. I deliberately haven't done that because um, I wanted to just make work that I thought was good. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to be swayed by that post has got more looks than that other post. And, you know, you can get into that cycle. So I wanted to think about where did I want this to go. Yeah. And that's been quite a deliberate decision. I think I will be changing that next year, possibly going back to the point about, you know, you want to reach as wide an audience as possible. Mm. So... I think there are people who come back and, and look because they tell me so yeah, yeah. so I know that it's you know it's a small site and it's a small little kind of um, readership and that kind of thing so my job is to kind of grow that I've added this kind of subscribe button for people who want to do that and you know there's a few subscribers so that's newish didn't mm-hmm. want it to be intrusive mm-hmm. and I think because of my only promotion really has been via Twitter because I'm on Twitter and obviously that's quite a niche user base so I think for me initially I wanted to you know you start photography and the thing you want to do is become you want to have some stuff in the gallery you want it you know you want that kind of thing (laughs) um but upon reflection that's not 
I don't believe that that's the best space for something like Mind Shackles. I think the value in it will be bringing it to people where they are and you know, that could take various forms which I don't know yet but I was in contact with a kind of documentary film project um, called Inner Vision um, and they worked in East London and they did work with mental health well people who experienced mental health issues and got to make their own films on their experience it was a short-term project okay. um, and they used to just take their films around and about so they took them to other people's homes they took them to here there and everywhere mm. um, just bringing it to an audience and I thought that was a really I'd never really thought about that before and I thought it was a really interesting way of getting your work shown and also engaging with an audience that wouldn't necessarily look at particular things so yeah, like I see my chat was quite an interactive thing because people comment on the post via Twitter to me yeah. when they send me emails and stuff and I, I want it to stimulate debate. So yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> well, what, uh, so you're saying you're going to try and explore new things. You, mm. You've put this newsletter sign-up link mm. uh, or box uh, facility on your website. Uh, and you've created a dedicated Twitter account for Mind Shackles mm. Project separate to your own personal Twitter account. So those are your kind of initial steps. And how do you feel that you can actually promote the subject, promote your work more, engage with more people? Mm. Like you say that you, you like this concept of taking the work to people, but how would you do that exactly? Okay, so um, one, you know, like I mentioned earlier that I was asked to speak at kind of a small conference for, I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm a teacher, that's my day job, and it was a conference for teachers. Um, there are kind of these organic things called teach meets where it's just teachers setting up stuff okay talking to other teachers about things and usually you get like a hundred people going or something like that so I was asked to speak there about staff well-being so it's kind of it's a related issue um, not necessarily about mental health specifically but obviously this ties in so I did that and I, I got some physical prints made which was really interesting to see so I got a free prints made up and I used those portraits to spring like as a springboard for debate mm-hmm. um also showed one of the multimedia pieces the mind shackles and you know brought in a few other more generic things um to suit the audience and that went really well you know it was, it was only a few people like maybe like 20 people or something like that but the con- quality of conversation was really interesting yeah. and then a couple of those people i got their emails and sent them out some stuff and it's kind of i think things like that can really help to build up people's interest mm-hmm. and that sort of thing um, and start a dialogue going. And what about mental health uh, charities and organisations? Because you have, you say you're not associated to any in particular mm. or any at all, mm. uh, but you do have links on your, your website. Yeah. So you do want to support those organisations. Have they shown you any support? Have they helped promote the work that you're doing or engage with you on any sort of level? I think it's, um, it's interesting with mental health charities because... It's interesting with charities full stop because they have a very clear agenda for what they want to do mm-hmm. um, and also they have a very clear view of what their brand is and I think sometimes they don't mean it to be but if they think somebody's competing they're not massively in love with it. I don't mm. know if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, it's not to say I've had negative experiences but it's not been as favourable as you might think considering right. the overlap in subject matter. Yeah. However, having said that, you know, I did talk to one of the mental health charities and you know, I had an interview with somebody uh, and it was interesting to give more background. So it's it's always interesting in terms of research. Mm-hmm. I uh, have featured the child psychiatrist. That was really positive. Um, it wasn't mental health charity, but you know she works in that field of adolescent mental health, yeah. and she's given me. You know, we're pursuing a few 
links um, with some of her professional organisations, but these things take a long time. (laughs) So it's kind of, I can't say massively much about it because not a lot's happened, but it's Mm. kind of, small bits have happened and that's quite a positive thing. And I'm kind of talking to another mental health charity at the moment about something related, but I don't know if it's exactly going to be mind shackles, but it's it's a related thing. Uh, So it's, I think... I think it's another thing to explore, but I'm not going to sit around waiting for them. That's mm-hmm. my view. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think if, if you yourself are getting out there and engaging with folk and, and raising awareness, then mm. yeah, obviously it'd be nice to do it in partnership with an organisation so as the audience is wider and broader. But, but I think every individual counts. You know, if, if you are doing it in front of 20 teachers, that's still important. Yeah, so many teachers. Yeah. yeah, it's still yeah creating positive change and raising awareness as as you want. So it's still a success. But yeah, it's a shame that that organisations aren't more well open to collaboration and and support. I think organisations are open to collaboration and support if it's the way they want something to look. Yeah. I think my chapel has a very particular look. I think it's uh, a look that I'm comfortable with and that all my volunteers have been comfortable with and that anyone I've spoken to with mental health issues. Is comfortable with and relates to. Mm-hmm. I think it's possible that some mental health charities want things to be in a different voice, right. which is fine. You know, I don't have to answer their marketing department, so I can do what I like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, it's amazing, I think, how in life you can get rejections on particular things, and then when something's when it's been tested and people are talking about it that the same things that rejected people go back and knock on their door. So I'm not massively bothered, to be mm. honest. It sounds a bit arrogant, but I don't care. <laughs> well, so long as it doesn't you know, affect your confidence and, and your desire to move forward, you know, because obviously I'm sure it'd be nice to have open doors and, and support from mm. all avenues, and rather than, not, not necessarily hindrance, but you know, just conscious of the fact that you're, you're doing this in isolation. Whereas, and especially a subject that you're passionate about, where you think, geez, you know, I'd love to get this to as wide an audience as possible. And, and surely we're doing the same thing. We're, we're, we care about the same people. We're trying to do the same thing. Why can't we work together? Why can't there be that mutual yeah, support? Yeah, I but, think things take a lot longer as well. You know, when you're dealing with large organisations, whether they're charities or not, um, mm. there are so many uh, channels that things have to go through. I'm a person working on my own. If I want to do something, I can do it tomorrow yep. or this afternoon you know, allowing for my personal life and commitments. Um, if you want to talk to somebody related to a charity, they have to get a go-ahead from their director, they have to get a go-ahead from their marketing department, they have to do this, they have to do that. It has to fit in with, you know, I don't know what other campaigns they have going on in a month's time or a year's time. You know, there's such a long stream of things that have to be okayed beforehand. And it's kind of, I think I'm sympathetic to that. I understand how that kind of thing works. And yeah, it's uh, not as easy as it is for somebody who's, just doing a thing on their own or you know a smaller company who's a startup or an entrepreneur it's it's a different kind of thing so it's um you know I don't want to say that I've not had support I think people have been very interested in what I've been doing um and they've been supportive in terms of you know we like what you're doing you know good luck with it da, 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 and we're happy to offer time if you want to talk about particular things mm-hmm. but I do think that some charities it's kind of it's like any organisation, you know, they have a message that they want to get out there. Yeah. And some of my experience with charities has kind of been actually, I've gone to interview some of them and they've basically given me their marketing spiel, which is not really what I'm about. Mm. And it's kind of, that was a bit disappointing, I felt. Mm. Um, whether or not they want to be featured is fine, I don't really mind that, but it's kind of, I 
can read your website. I don't need you to tell me all this. It's a little bit insulting, I felt. Yeah. <laughs> and in terms of, you say that part of it might be the, the style that you've chosen. Mm. What has kind of motivated you to uh, explore the style that you have with mm. Mind Shackles? And would you ever consider changing it for that opportunity to open those doors to potential other opportunities? Mm. Or would you prefer to stick to it? Um, I think that I'm not... Why did I change... Why did I choose that style? Um, so the, the site is monochrome and the pictures are in black and white. Why did I originally choose that? I think originally I chose that because I just felt like I was better working in black and white, so it was a practical consideration, really. Mm-hmm. And I think the camera that I had at the time... I had like a like a crappy point and shoot. It wasn't very good in colour. Right. <laughs> that was pretty much the the thing. Right. Um, and sometimes I picked up one that you know the colour was just awful. I just never used to use it. So initially it was that constraint. I do have mind shackle stuff in colour because I do it all in raw now. So you right. know it always starts off as a colour file. Mm-hmm. And the volunteers page is in colour, uh, which was a conscious decision. So do I think it's a problem. No, not really because. It's not been a problem for anybody who's spoken to me who's had mental health issues themselves. They were able to see past the fact that it's in black and white and to look at the overall content of the images and they feel it's quite a positive thing, which is how I feel. Uh, And also, I'm more comfortable working in colour now, so, you know, that could possibly change. But I think that in some things, because of the subject matter, I wanted to... I want people to hone in on the, the content of the picture yeah. and sometimes colour is its own subject which is not a good or bad thing I think it depends on what it is you're talking about but you know, I think as time's gone by the images have become more joyous actually and it's I think it's an interesting juxtaposition with the fact that it's in black and white would it change? could do I mean I, I don't say no to a thing but I think it works yeah. <laughs> and I've not had it's not been a reason for people to say no they don't want to do it um interestingly the only people who've ever said oh do you fancy doing it in color in general were people who haven't had mental health issues right. before sure. yeah and it's kind of like well okay <laughs> there you go. That's, that's interesting yeah yeah but you... maybe it's something worth thinking about if you know if a few people are saying it mm. it's worth thinking about but because because it's not just the photographs. I think if it was just the photographs, then maybe I'd be like, yeah, actually. But if you look at the words as well and the audio, I think it, all of it together creates, it gives a better clue to mm. what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. mm. Okay. And so you, you've said that uh, your key focus is the story and, and telling uh, the individual's um, experiences, documenting those, and that you don't necessarily favour a particular means of doing that uh, and recently you've been exploring multimedia so what exactly were your motivations for that was it about trying to find a more effective means of communicating with people and engaging with a wider audience why did why did you explore multimedia initially when i thought about mind shackles it was a photographic project so it was just stills that was it wasn't even going to be words, it was just that. Right. Um, and then when I went to go and interview people, I'd take a few notes down. But then I realised that to take photographs and notes and have anywhere near half a brain at the same time was a bit complicated. <laughs> so I got my iPhone out and I recorded 
what they said to me, so I didn't have to worry about that. Yeah. And then, uh, so the first couple of posts, um, then I listened to them at home, and I realised that there was so much more recorded than I'd actually managed to get down, so I was missing loads of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I also realised that writing it in the person's voice was so much more powerful, because um, I was quite affected when I listened to it again, even though I'd already been there. So that's how the words came in, um, because I thought, well, there's no point in me being kind of the middle person and trying to work out what's going on. Why not just give an edited version of what they've actually said? Mm-hmm. Then, um, because I was recording it anyway, kind of a little bit later, I realised that it would be quite powerful to hear that person's actual voice, because you know some things you can't convey in writing. So like, if somebody laughed about something, so going back to what we're talking about, about how things are presented, so sometimes people can say quite uh, harrowing things, but they're happy and you you don't pick that up unless you mm. hear the audio and it's like they're laughing about it or yeah. it's like, you know, and it's it's not as it seems, you know, the people that I'm working with are, they love life and it's kind of some annoying things have happened to them and sometimes they're not in the best place, but in general they love life, and I wanted that to come across. Mm-hmm. So then I started putting some of the audio in just so you'd get, it was almost like a, I don't know, but it gave a nice contrast to some of what else was going on in the post for some of the people. And then, I don't know, someone contacted me, and I don't know who it was, but they were like, oh, you know, I like your use of multimedia, I don't know what they were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? And they said, oh, you know, the way you do da-da-da. And I was like, oh, okay, is, is that what you classify as multimedia? I thought it was just putting a bit of audio in it. <laughs> so um, I thought, okay, well, that seems to be going quite well. Um, the people who'd be featured in the post liked it as well, so mm-hmm. I thought, okay, I should probably do a bit more of that. Also, it saves me having to write um, some of the stuff out, so it was like a win-win. Yeah. And and then I thought, okay, well, if I'm before the audio was only really for my transcription, because I transcribed everything so quite a lot more than's on the site but then I thought okay well if I'm going to start including it it needs to be maybe a bit better quality um, sometimes so now I go with mindset that I'm probably going to use some of it in the post so that affects how I record things mm-hmm. um, and it makes me a bit tighter in terms of my interviewing process but in terms of kind of the last post the Gwen post um, was my first proper what I'd call a proper multimedia piece really so it's it's got her speech, it's got some music as well, which is from one of my, from my collaborator, my ongoing collaborator now, and, you know, background from when we were at the theatre, because we went to the theatre together, and that's mm. how that post came about, and also, obviously, the pictures, because I think the visuals are important, um, although it probably would have worked as well as just a sound-only piece, that one, and the reason for that is, like you're saying, I think it reaches a different audience, I think, but more importantly, for me, I wasn't really thinking about audience initially, it was more, it just tells the story better, you know, it gives different facets to that person's personality, and yeah, I think it's just a different way of storytelling, and I, I enjoy doing it, it's more laborious for me, but um, I enjoy that finished process, I always like kind of learning new things and trying to push myself, so it's it's part of that, it's not maybe the best piece you've ever seen, but it's kind of, it's a piece that tells a different story. Mm-hmm or tells the story in a different way um, and I think that connects with people and it seems to connect with people yeah so that's why and do you think moving image will ever have a, a place in your multimedia pieces I think moving image does have a place I probably need to get myself a new laptop <laughs> before <Right>. I start <laughs> doing 
because it's going to require quite a bit more storage, I should think. Yeah. And it's kind of, I like what I'm doing at the moment because it's a nice halfway house. Mm-hmm. Um, when I start looking at moving image, I'm going to have to uh, upgrade some of my equipment a bit, I think, to right. stay up with the big boys. Because yeah. <laughs> my laptop will conk out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's kind of the main thing. But I, I envisage, like, you know, if we were to talk to each other this time next year, I'd imagine I've started to explore um, moving image just because again it's a different audience and it allows you to tell the story in a different way and over a I don't know obviously it's more cinematic um, but it's just a different angle I think by a moving image mm-hmm. so uh, yeah I think I would like to explore that when my skill set allows me to right yeah and how are you how are you kind of building your skill set how are you kind of refining your skills and and adding these new skills to your to your repertoire. Mm. Um, well, the multimedia piece that's up there now um, was after I'd attended a, a workshop from by a company called Duck Rabbit, and it was kind of specifically looking at multimedia for um, I think it's for journalists. And uh, I talked to the guy on Twitter who uh, is the founder, and um, he very kindly allowed me to to come along and learn some new stuff because he was like, okay, I think where you're at now you'll benefit coming on the course so I did that in the summer and it definitely made a big difference to my skill set absolutely the kind right. of the quality of audio um, that kind of thing in, just in terms of telling stories in stills is very different to telling stories in approaching moving images it's, it's I think the way I collect things now is different mm-hmm. um, because say for example on the site I can have a um, I can have something landscape I can have something portrait it doesn't matter it's fine mm. As a practicality, if I'm doing it multimedia like that, you know, a, a portrait picture is not going to work as well, it just jars. So now I always make sure that I've got portrait and landscape of the same thing if I want that, so I've got that option to use. When I'm collecting the audio, for example, I'm thinking about what the background, you know, the ambient sound can be as well. So mm-hmm. I made sure I, I've got the crowd clapping, that kind of thing. You know, small things that seem obvious because we're so used to, we're saturated with these kind of things and very high quality. You don't actually think about it when you're making it mm. until it's been pointed out that you don't realize why something is so good and why it all seamlessly works so i because i don't have a you know formally trained background i need to go on courses or i need to talk to people who are more knowledgeable than me and i try and you know I, I don't live near a photographic center or artistic center i live just outside of london which is great for my family but maybe not so great creatively <laughs> So I have to make an effort to connect with people who mm. know more than I do in terms of the technical aspects of things. Um, so I try and make sure I connect with the wider artistic community. Um, and people are very generous with their time, I find. And is that via Twitter or Yeah, I do it via Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sometimes, I don't really use Facebook these much these days, but initially when I first started photography, there were kind of Facebook groups and stuff like that um, that I took advantage of and then you could meet up with people. Mm-hmm. Now it's like I try and go to places physically as well because there's nothing that beats face to face really. Um, People can put a face to who they're talking to, and it's you know you know if you get on with someone you just make that connection, and I found that to be quite quite a useful thing. It's just about building relationships, I think, just based on the shared interests. Um, You don't have to get anything out of it. It's just it's nice to connect with people, I think. And I do think photography can be quite isolating, so that's another reason why I'd quite like to explore multimedia because it quite often you have to collaborate with people. And I enjoy the collaboration process. Like I've enjoyed working with um, Joshua, who's the person who does my music. Um, MC Small Mercies, I think, is his uh, 
handle. Mm. Um, but it's nice collaborating with somebody else to see what their interpretation of something is as well. Mm. If you were to kind of start Mind Shackles again, mm. but with all the knowledge and experience you have now, you know, how would you have done things differently, or if at all? Mm. What would you kind of advise the earlier self? That's a really good question. I think I maybe would have tried to engage with people more like I am now much earlier because it gives you immediate feedback on your work but also very constructive feedback because I did engage with people but you know maybe could have done that a bit better if I was starting my shackles again something that I haven't yet done but I think I would have tried to build in is I don't know how to do it like some, but some kind of interactive aspect of it mm-hmm. for people who maybe have had some kind of mental health issue because people talk to me but a facility possibly on the site or, or something else that would have allowed them to do that with each other you know maybe I might have used Facebook a bit better I don't mm. have a Facebook site currently just because I personally can't really be bothered with Facebook but yeah. I think it works for the nature of what Mind Shackles is and kind of the people who engage with it, it probably works better than Twitter might because Twitter suits me but I don't know if it suits the people who are there Right. Yeah. but other than that I think it's been an Oh, what I probably would have done is, what I try to do this year is be much more regular in my posts. When I originally started, it was a bit erratic. So I think I would have been, okay, I'm going to do a post once a month, or I'm going to do a post once a fortnight, or whatever it is, and stuck to that. And I'd made that decision this year that I was going to do that, and it's been much, much better. Um, It's it's pushed me to go out and find people. And also it means that people know there's going to be something roughly once a month. Um, If I could, I would do more, but um, it doesn't fit in with my life at the moment. But yeah, I think regularity of it and just being really disciplined about that would have probably been a good thing to do Mm -hmm. and so to wrap up what does uh, the future hold what what have you got planned for next year for Mind Shackles (laughs) and anything beyond Mind Shackles or is it just purely going to be about this for the Um, future the future for me is I want Mind Shackles to keep going so when I originally thought about it it was like Oh, it'll take a year or two it's already been almost two years so I think there's um, quite a bit more life in it um, and there are more things that I would like to explore I think it would be a shame to kind of end it at a time when you know I'm starting to get a little audience for it and starting to explore different avenues mm-hmm. so my shackles will continue for the foreseeable future the future I think will imp- in, include multimedia more um, and just exploring different avenues of storytelling however that looks. It will also include possibly a more structured way for me to invite new volunteers on board and get a, a wider cross-section of people. Um, initially it started off with something for depression, for people who suffer from depression, um, but you know, I think I'd like to, I kind of have started to expand it to other mental health issues, so I'm quite keen to look at people who have schizophrenia, that sort of thing, possibly post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. Um, but, you know, with the emphasis always on how they are living their lives now um, mm-hmm. and how they've overcome any particular difficulties, that, that's really important for me. I'll never say no to the colour aspect, it's possible. It's not impossible, I mean, nearly all the files are on my computer there in colour. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not an, an impossibility. I think getting out, bringing the work to people more now, so getting out in the physical world, because... I think you gain a lot by having physical prints and, and bringing it to people. I think aside from my shackles, I'm in the 
early stages of Mindshackles related projects or similar subject matter, but that are not Mindshackles. Right. Um, they're things that kind of a few people have approached me about, which has been interesting. Um, so I don't really know where it's going to go yet. I can't say much about it. I don't really know where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And just becoming a better photographer, really. Um, mm-hmm. Photography is still my core interest. It's something that I really enjoy. It's easy in terms of I can go and take a photograph now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to go and set loads of things up. I can just bring my camera, go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Um, so for that reason, I'll always love it. And it's something I can just do on my own without anybody else even being there. So in terms of my personal photography, because my shackles are so focused on people, I probably want to start exploring things that I don't need anybody else's interaction with, which is something that I would never have said even a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, possibly more landscapes or things like that. But it will all feed into what happens in my shackles as well, because everything does. And... I think, yeah, I've got a couple of other personal projects that I just need to finish because my juggles takes up most of my time in terms of that. Mm-hmm. So I've had uh, something that I've promised my partner that I need to get done by Christmas, uh, which is a present to her. And that's it, really. I don't know. It's hard to know what's going to happen in the future. I could never yeah. say. <laughs> okay. Okay. And so where where can people connect with you? Uh, they can connect with me via the Mindshackle site, which is www.mindshackles.co.uk. I'm also on Twitter, at Mindshackles. Via the site, there's an email if people want to send me an email. Yeah, so that's that. I'm also on Twitter as my normal self, but that's um, via the Mindshackles handles, at Aisha Small. So there's various ways you can connect with me. Great. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers, take care. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Documentary Photography Review Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the interview. And if so, please share it with everyone and anyone who might be interested in Aisha's work. And show notes for this podcast, giving details of photographers, organizations and the likes mentioned during the interview can be found by going to documentaryphotoreview.com forward slash interviews. Then simply navigate to the page dedicated to this podcast. Documentary Photography Review is a website dedicated to unreported and underreported stories from documentary photographers around the world. If you'd like to have work considered for the site, then do get in touch with me at chris at documentaryphotoreview.com. You can also get in touch via Twitter at docphotoreview or Facebook by simply searching for documentary photography review. I hope to get things back to the way they were, publishing a new podcast on the 1st and 15th of every month although I'm not sure about the 1st of January. Do subscribe via iTunes or similar and keep an eye out for the next interview. Take care and thanks again for listening.